Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am the fat cat, Ron Kolick, New England's own Van Helsink, and with me all the way from England or something like Wales, some place in the aisles, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good evening. Hey, what's up? It's 140 days till Christmas. There you go. How many to Halloween, which is the most important thing, right? <laughs> um, well, you might think so, um, but we know, we all know how much Christmas means to people, and I just thought I'd give them a timely reminder to start looking out for those Christmas gifts for their loved ones. Yeah. I've already got yours. That's good. Same thing I gave you last year. What? Are you going to wrap it this year? I doubt it. Cool. Anyways, uh, I've been uh, – in fact, we talked about this on the uh, morning show this week – is that I've been reading a lot up on sea serpents. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. and There's weird synchronicity, and I've just spent the last week writing about them. Really? Yeah. Ready for a spirit quest. That's right. Spirit quest is uh, September 28th, 29th, and 30th right here up in Groveland, where I am now. And uh, it's not that far away. It's about less than two months, right? Yeah. Not long now. Yeah. Awesome. And so, you'll... yeah. So I was I was catching up on the Cape Anne and Gloucester Sea Monster. Somebody gave you a book last year. That's right. <laughs> was but, that for Christmas? Uh, yeah, that must have been for Christmas. But there are so many, and that's the, the thing I'm finding intriguing about. The more research I do, the more interesting it gets because, you know, the descriptions, uh, you know, they, they seem to be the same or similar. And, uh, you know, there are reports from reputable witnesses, and it's it's getting difficult to, to dismiss them uh, that easily. Well, I mean, you've got to remember that the vast majority of these reports, particularly, the, I mean, the very famous Cape Ann, Gloucester, um, Ken, Kenny Bunkport, all around there, right, in fact, right along the New England coast, um, were a considerable time ago. You know, we, we're dealing with the earlier to middle part of the 19th century. And wherever the creatures are now, um, they're not as so commonly... Reported. I mean, with the Cape Ann one, um, which was also seen up around York uh, in Maine, it was it was a daily occurrence, and people would actually go to um, the location uh, to to specifically to see the monster, and they were disappointed. Um, and you've got, as you said before, you've got quite reliable witnesses who. Included fishermen, people who spent their life at sea. Now, I, I know people might criticise the fishermen's tall tales, but you had people quite evident. People, people are going to from... criticise anyway. So it's not well, I think the the Essex County Historical Society and other luminaries from England, New England, uh, from came up from Salem to 
take a look for themselves, and they too weren't disappointed. Right. They got to see the um, the monster. I don't uh, think that one actually had a name, though. No, it didn't. Well, I think. Well, I, I'll have to some, look into that. Some do, some didn't get one, but. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I want to include not only just the sea serpents, but also the the lake monsters as well, because there are a vast number of those. And and the intriguing thing about them, Steve, is as you mentioned about the the ocean ones not being seen lately, but there is a rise in the number of freshwater. Uh, sea serpents, or for monsters, whatever you want to call them, and and that that's intriguing in itself as well. But yet yeah, there are reports that go way back, but there seems to be a increase in the in the number of uh, them in the 20th century. Uh, well, in the early part of the 20th century, for sure, particularly relating to the world's most famous Loch Monster, Lake Monster, um, the Loch Ness Monster. Because I, I, yeah, but that's I, only I, one. Everybody knows the Loch Ness monster. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I said yeah. particularly relating to the yeah. world's most famous lake monster, Nessie. Right. Uh, there was a huge spike in reports in the early part of the 20th century, which lasted for well, I mean, for close on the whole of the 20th century. It has faded though. Um, the numbers have dropped, and I, I don't want to give away the reason uh, the, too much because uh, people should come to Spirit Quest and hear oh, yeah, talk about it's going to be a great, 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 great. But there is there are legitimate reasons as to why the 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 creature uh, may still exist in the lock, but the number of sightings have dropped. Oh, cool. um, pre- predominantly le- related to um, two factors. Firstly, being the envir- the local environment, um, and I don't mean. In, in relation to global, uh, climate change or any of that sort of oh, yeah. uh, stuff. Um, just the specifics of the local area may may actually discourage or reduce the number of sightings. Plus, the conditions by which, I mean, in the past, people would go to uh, certain well-known places to report their sighting. But in the last... 40 years that that the number of places where people can go to report a sighting has dropped plus people's attitudes have changed you know when people when people see um uh, see something out on loch ness for example or lake champlain or one of the others they a lot of people feel a little reluctant to actually say or do anything about it for fear uh, for fear of ridicule they're much more likely to talk about a ghost encounter than they are a lake monster encounter because they're much more likely, or so they believe, to be ridiculed, uh, or uh, for, you know, for reporting such an encounter. Right. Because we still, I mean, ten, fifteen years ago, um, it was, it was considered to be, you know, a social faux pas to report seeing a ghost. And I remember oh, yeah. many, many talks where you'd ask at the start of the evening. Has anybody here seen a ghost? And there was a lot of nervous shuffling, and nobody would put a hand up. And then at the end, they would all come sort of quietly over um, and tell you their their stories mm-hmm. on the promise that you didn't tell their friends or you didn't publish their name. Or right, right. and it's that hasn't changed for the late monsters. There are a lot of people now. I've spent a lot of time at Loch Ness over the years. Yeah, which uh, I, I found yeah amazing too. I never, you know, when you tell me about that, I was you know quite pleased actually. Well, I, one of the things that struck me on my very first visit there was just how plausible the whole thing was, from a 
just seeing it with my own eyes rather than reading about it. And also talking to a lot of the people who lived in the villages, in the farms, or who worked around Loch Ness. And so many of those people have got have got their own first-hand reports. Now, these are people who see the loch daily. They work alongside it. They drive along its shores. They're very, very familiar with it in you know all of the seasons, in all of its moods, all different lighting conditions. And these people are not going to start mixing up you know common things like boat wakes and stuff going up and down the loch. And the loch is a very busy place. It's part of a um, a maritime thoroughfare between the North Sea and the North the the North Channel of the Irish Sea. So it, it, you know it's very well frequented by by small smallish vessels uh, to save them going right round the top end of Scotland, and that that certainly impressed me was the number of people, um, ordinary people, people like you and me, people, the school bus driver, the the guy who works in one of the restaurants, the guy who mows um, or tends to sheep. All the power station worker, all of these people, um, if you approached them and asked them, would would tell you their own uh, accounts, and often right. the accounts tallied with the accounts of other people. And and the interesting thing, like uh, you know, I like I've been doing a lot of research about the the Canadian uh, uh, lake monsters, and and there are very good reports from you know multiple people, uh, you know, like, like for instance uh, a. Uh, police officer who officer who lives on the lake and his wife who you know so you have two witnesses and a, and a reputable uh, witness at that and uh, th- there's many like that in fact uh, I know that the Manitoba government uh, actually launched an official uh, expedition to try to find the, the one that was particularly living at their results were uh, less than sterling but uh, yet they it Got a, there was enough attention that it, it led to that. And and once, yeah, you know, ridicule, you, once again, would they would do that. You'd imagine the ridicule if uh, there wasn't enough evidence to believe it. And it's not the first uh, major government-backed scientific survey either. Um, there have been such surveys that have taken place in Norway, in Russia, in Scotland, of course, on t- uh, not just Loch Ness. There's been other uh, scientific um, surveys that have taken place at other Scottish lochs too. Uh, what is interesting, though, is uh, when you plot the fall of lake monsters, the the locations, they do fall more or less along the same line of, lati- of uh, latitude. More um, or less, yeah. You know, sort of. Uh, they're concentrated in a band in the northern hemisphere yeah, around I mean, a particular group of you know sort of similar but not i mean there's one one of the monsters live in a lake the lake actually freezes and so uh it's a little bit different than because uh, the lock doesn't freeze right Loch Ness. uh it's not been well it, it gets freezing up there but no um Loch Ness yeah. has hasn't uh, this lake actually freezes it doesn't over. freeze over it just freezes over um, but I mean, you know, the, the water depths of these locks—it really doesn't make any difference whether the top, the, the top few feet freeze or not. It's not going to make any difference Correct. to the to the temperature of the water. Uh, you know, well, it, it doesn't. It, it gives you a clue on what type of animal it is. It wouldn't be a mammal or a warm-blooded animal because it couldn't survive. It would have to be a reptile, 
Uh, well, well, it could also. I mean, there are there are uh, there are lots of competing theories of what it might be. Some people have suggested it's a, a dinosaur left over from the Paleolithic period. Um, yeah, a plesiosaur. Well, particular, just there a particular are, warm-blooded versus red-blooded. I mean, cold-blooded. Well, it, there is nothing within the biology of some of these lakes that can't sustain a large creature. Now, the assumption has often been made in the case of Loch Ness um, that there isn't enough food in the loch to sustain a population. Right. Now, all of those surveys have all you know, fallen at the first fence because they've all assumed that the, the, the monster is um, carnivorous. Carnivorous, right. And it needs fish. There is, there is an extraordinary... I mean, if it's a vegisaurus or a veggipod or whatever you want to call it, a veggie monster, there's plenty of food for it down there. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of food for it down there. Um, moreover, what's interesting is it was, it was postulated by some researchers that some of these lake monsters may actually be a very large species of eel. Now, if we take, for example, the, the well-known conger eel, which is one of the largest species of sea um, eel. Yeah, the, that, the only problem with that, Steve, is, is that there's so many reports of the, the head of the creature being like a horse's head or a, a giraffe's well, head. Well, there are some very interesting pictures that uh, have, it, have been produced down the years of ordinary common eels doing exactly this sort of weird headstanding thing. And also, eels, of course, can get out of the water and slither across land. Exactly. And, and in the case of uh, Nessie, and some of the other lake monsters, they have been seen out of water, right. slithering and sliding about on the banks or the shores of the, the various locks and lakes. And indeed, um, on ocean beaches, you know, there's, there's more than one sea serpent. And it's interesting that in the case of the saltwater version, they're called serpents. Right. Um, because if we are dealing with a 40, 30, 40, 50 foot long species of eel. Oh, yeah, they're definitely tall eel, eel-like. There's no doubt yeah. about it that most of the descriptions meet that, uh, other than the, the horse's head or giraffe's yeah. head. But which what, is what's different. most interesting about Loch Ness is when they've done the underwater surveys, uh, camera surveys, Loch Ness has an enormous population of the common eel, a vast population. Right. You, you can't, you know, if, if you're at the bottom of Urquhart Bay, for example, and I've been on a boat with underwater cameras on it. Right. Um, the, the, they're like asparagus tips in the bay, you know, they're <laughs> that many of them. All bobbing, you know, also this. Right. So there is no, there is no shortage of uh, possibilities. What we, right. what we, what we have is a shortage of evidence. Now, the, the old one was bring me the body, and I'll, I'll, I'll right. be. Can, but you don't Same see eel bodies because, sport, as we talked well, like, like, well like with sharks an eel is a cartilaginous fish so it, if it sinks to the bottom and rots there is nothing left there is no there is no skeleton there is no hard bone um so you are just left with no evidence and of course there are hundreds of thousands of eels in loch ness right um, and in some of the other locks. So what, what was most peculiar, though, is in one of the Norwegian studies, they actually found elvers, which are one of the early juvenile forms of eels, um, that were longer than the standard common eel, full-grown adult right. common eel. So when they did the sort of comparison with the conga larva or the conga elver, they said that uh, if these elvers were at the same stage as the conger, 
then the uh, the adult must be 30 to 50 feet long. Right. So, you know, I've been to Loch Ness. You could put a nuclear submarine in Loch Ness and, and it would go unnoticed for much of the time. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and another thing, you know, in Lake Champlain and some of the other lakes, they... Uh, they also say, well, you know, sturgeons, sturgeons can grow up to a, a huge, I mean, those things are, are monsters in themselves, but the, uh, the behavior of a sturgeon is, is, sturgeon is not to uh, put their head out of the water. It's, it's a oh. totally different. Uh, I don't think it could. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I don't think it could either. <laughs> in fact, having, there is a sturgeon at Loch Ness. Oh, there is. Um, it's at the Loch Ness Visitor Centre in, in a big pool at the back. There's, I think they had a couple of them last time I was up there. Uh, now, this is a bony, this is some sort of armoured nine-foot-long fish. I mean, mm. It could probably bend from side to side a little bit, yeah. but it certainly couldn't, it, no, it couldn't poke its head. It, it would have to, no, it would be like sticking a brush end lightly. <laughs> it wouldn't work. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And we don't know, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, especially cryptozoologists, all we talk about the cyclo, what the heck was the name of that fish that was caught off of... Seal account. Seal, thank you. Seal account. They always use that as an example, but it's really not a good example because that's basically something we knew about but thought was extinct and, and wasn't. These creatures uh not necessarily any species that we know about other words it could be an unknown species and and we are discovering new species all the time not only and, in the ocean very death, big ones also. as well yeah, exactly especially in uh, the ocean's death well you i mean they had the seven gill shark uh which was a new discovery uh certainly within the last three or four years um and interestingly there was a They've been doing shark tagging programs on great white sharks. Oh, yes. Yeah. Off the, um, oh, some of, I think it was one of the American. Uh, sort, they do it sort, off the Cape. Yeah. Um, I, actually, that's another thing. I'll come to that in a minute. But Sorry, after, after tagging this shark, they then noticed that the data from the shark stopped transmitting for a period of time. And when they eventually re- re- retrieved the, the device, they found that something had actually taken this shark whole. Um, really? And ate, dragged it? And, and ate an entire nine-foot great white in basically one gulp. And there's also uh, there's some very interesting footage of humpback whales um, with uh, bite marks taken out of the uh, out of their back, which are obviously a toothed bite mark, and the marine biologist examining it. And, and the so, other way, and the other way around too. There have been many, many examples of whales that were harvested, and when their bellies were cut open, they found these creatures in it that they couldn't explain. Well, that's how they discovered the giant squid. They or the kraken because the they kraken. found it. They found they found these giant tentacles and suckers inside the stomachs of sperm whales. Right. And, and, and um, one of the myths was that, of course, the giant squids attack sperm whales, but it seems it's the other way around. Yeah, the sperm whale predated on the squid. But I mean, if we take that example of this giant squid, it was reported for hundreds of years by mariners and by sailors, and poo-pooed by the by the population and by the scientists, and said, "No, squid are little, you know, one or two foot long at most, and you can't get them tens, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty feet in length." And then, lo and behold, they start finding them. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, once know, they know. start looking in the right place, because right. we've only explored 5% of the undersea world. Well, the I underwater know, is, world. Is that Jack has said that we know more about the moon than we do about our own oceans? We know a great deal about a lot of places more than we know about our, not just the oceans, but also our deep lakes. I mean, up in North America, you've got the Great Lakes, and they've, you know, you would imagine that they've been fairly well explored and mapped, and yet, no, they find new species, albeit of nematodes and bacteria, but they still manage to find new species there, too. You find ships they can't, they've lost for a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you can't find a ship that you know you put there, yeah, <laughs> what hope of uh, you know what hope of uh, finding something that you're not quite sure of where it might be and what it might be up to? And, and we talk about reputable witnesses and everything. And and the one I've been looking at, uh, there's several reports from the the Royal British Navy and uh, oh, are. absolutely of of, of attacks on on warships. There are indeed uh, accounts of sea serpents, and um, in some instances. Uh, the attacks on the vessel themselves that have been reported by. Now, we might be dealing with, I mean, the idea of an attack might be some sort of um, confrontation between. Right, exactly, yeah. But nonetheless, Her Majesty's or His Majesty's Royal Navy, depending on the, the era in which the reports were being made, um, there were well-attested reports of encounters with sea serpents and other large aquatic animals that we don't know what they are. So, wait, before you go on, so I said that wrong. What, what is it? Uh, the Navy? What do you call your Navy now? It's the Royal Navy. The Royal Navy, right? And it yeah. was called Her, Her Majesty. Oh, yeah, HMS. Well, yeah, Her Majesty. Well, her, its full title would always be um, His or Her Majesty's Royal Navy. Okay. But it's the Royal Navy. All right. I was just, you know, just yeah, We don't have the Navy. We have correct the, the Royal. Yeah. The United States have the Navy. We have the Royal Navy. Heaven knows I've offended enough Brits. <laughs> well, we'll send a gunboat. <laughs> Thanks. So, anyway, I mean, it's all this stuff is, yeah, uh, to me, of all the paranormal uh, fields or modalities, I think that's the most intriguing because if they're ever going to find anything, then they have the best chance of finding it. I mean, it's, I think it's more difficult to prove a ghost than a Bigfoot or a ghost than a Chippequa or what the hell they are, or a ghost than a sea serpent. Eventually, something somewhere, and we have seen, as, we, as you mentioned, we have seen witness um, some episodes where, you know, whales with uh, pieces in it and, and other things that have showed us a glimpse of these animals, but never, like you said, the body. You know, show no, the body. No. No. Not yet. Not yet. We haven't. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there is... You're in the perfect location. Um, you know, perhaps you should use Portsmouth Harbour Lighthouse instead of uh, looking inside it. You should use the balcony of there and um, uh, whale humpback. Oh, what's the other one? Well, believe me, if there's anything in there, they've already found it because uh, there are monitoring systems, uh, yeah. uh, systems, sound and video entering and leaving the harbor, especially the sound. When I, it, it would, there's also a fish farm there, and I, and I believe it has not been attacked yet. So, uh, and that is right in the harbor as well. So, we. Uh, but you've got the perfect opportunity. Yeah, to I watch. said yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whaleback. Is it Whaleback? The other lighthouse? Yeah, Whaleback is the one as it's out in the, uh, the yeah. rock. Yeah. They're the perfect place to go net, uh, sea serpent spotting in the summer months. 
And uh, the one in Boston, the Glossa, that was sighted on 10-pound island, it was the lighthouse keeper that uh, issued one of the first reports on it. Now, just so as I got the right place, yep. Gloucester is the one you see from Hammond Castle, isn't it? Yes, that's in Gloucester, yes. Yeah, because you look across and you can see the lighthouse. Is that yep. the same lighthouse? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just trying to get my bearings. Oh, I don't know if it's the lighthouse you're looking at from there. I can't recall offhand, but... Uh... but it's, yeah, well, it's the same Gloucester. But there was, yeah, it is the area, though. Yes. There was also the other monster that was intriguing, which was the one at York, Maine, um, which was another one that was repeatedly and reliably popping itself, you know, out um, for all to see. So I have, uh, I have a copy of a uh, an old newspaper. Uh, I believe it's from Portsmouth, and it it reveals it's a captain's uh, report of him finding a. Uh, abandoned ship uh, in in the water, and they, they send a um, small boat out towards it. And as they get to the ship, uh, a, a sea serpent it takes one of the men from the uh, from the ship, and that's right in the newspaper. So, uh, you know, granted, there are fake news, believe it or not. But <laughs> <laughs> what well, even then? But we do have reports, so that, that's... Yeah, I mean, the New England coast, and indeed, the UK is not short of sea serpents. In fact, there was a there was a sea serpent reported at Milford Haven, where I live, um, only less than 10 years ago. It actually, really? swam, it actually swam right up the haven and cavorted and contorted, and I searched for it with launch. I mean, looking at it now, it looks very much like it was something like a minke whale, um, and they're not unknown in you know in the tidal parts of the British British rivers. But we do have sea monsters. Just not- I know that we're coming up to the break, Steve. But wasn't there a report not too long ago of something come up the Thames to to London? Oh yes, there was. That's right, the one that was sighted again. That was almost certainly one of these minke whales uh, that had been up the Thames before. But there's a brilliant footage of something large splashing about in the Thames, taken from the from the cable car uh, that crosses the river, which uh, was doing the rounds a, a year or two ago. Yeah, I mean it's that's it's it's neat seeing this stuff and it Well, you know what? I've got my own monster sighting when we come back after the break. Really? Yeah. I am you know, intrigued about this one. Uh yeah, okay. So you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tochinet and Parax Radios. And remember, join Steve and I this September, September twenty eighth, twenty ninth, and thirtieth up at V C Memorial Park for Spirit Quest in Search of. As we talk, and Steve will be giving a presentation on the Loch Ness Monster, and there's so many other things that are happening there. So next uh, this September, come on up and visit us. Come and see hi to Steve. He doesn't come to the States very often, but uh, this is one time uh, he does but leave the comfort. It's the problem with Homeland Security, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they will let you out. Is that what you're telling me? Won't let me in. Okay. So anyways, we do have to go. You'll listen to Ghost Chronicles. We'll be right back after the following messages right here on Tojanet and Pararex Radio.
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Splash in your lake. Welcome back to part two of Ghost Chronicles, the aquatic edition. We'll be talking sea monsters and lake monsters and stuff. Really? Yeah. Anyways, you were before the break. You were you were telling me. I was. You yeah, met, your, so, uh, but yeah, four or five years ago, I worked uh, worked. <laughs> I volunteered to do the odd session on top of the cliffs. Um, as part of a, an organization known what, as... What, what is, you mean the art session? Or you got to go with a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to. I was just okay. going to. That was, that was the abstract. Oh, I get it now. Um, so there was an, we have many high sea cliffs, and obviously we're around, around the coast of West Wales. It's a lot, there is a lot of pleasure um, boating of all different sorts, motor, yachts, kayaks, and the Coast Guard, because of the, the, the nature of the rugged coast, the Coast Guard can't maintain a full radio listening watch along the entire coast. So they rely on a voluntary organization called Coast Watch, Ooh. who have a series of manned lookouts along Just the coast. Just like during the war. Uh, well, they actually use the old wartime Coast Guard lookout stations in the days before, before the Coast Guard became fully automated. Um, And they realized that uh, along large parts of the British coastline where pleasure boating or pleasure uh, activities were taking place, like sea angling off the cliffs and such, um, the Coast Guard were not necessarily aware of what was taking place. 
if a mayday took, uh, occurred, then there was no the, the Coast Guard wouldn't hear it because it was a radio black spot. And so an organisation called Coast Watch was set up, and I belong to that. And oh. You did voluntary shifts in this um, wooden pigeon loft. Uh, there used to be an old Coast Guard lookout station. Uh, anyway. Anyway, one bright and sunny morning, uh, we'd had a we'd had a, a a fairly normal summer for us in that it had rained a lot and we'd had seventy mile an hour winds for most of the preceding week. However, the day of my shift, uh, my four hour stint up um, up at the uh, Coast Watch, it was bright and clear. But um, there was there's quite a sea race between where um, the cliffs on the mainland. And the offshore islands, and it's quite a draw for kayakers and small uh, small pleasure boat fishermen because obviously it's an area that the the fish are attracted to. Um, so I'm watching this, and I notice that there's a very large uh, tree um, rolling about in the tidal race. And every so often, as the tree went round, uh, it was partially submerged because it had been floating about for. You right. know, uh, it, it gave a very good impression of the surgeon's photograph, the famous Nessie photograph of what looks like the hand that's sticking out of the water, mm-hmm. uh, as this branch came up about 10 or 15 feet out of the water. Now, I noted it, and I, 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 I uh, gave the Coast Guard a ring to tell them about this enormous great lump of tree that was in the navigable channel between the islands and the cliffs so that they could let the the you know, the boats that were coming our way know that there was a submerged obstruction um and while i was on the phone to the coast guard the door of the rabbit hutch as i used to call it burst open and a very excitable middle-aged lady rushed in completely out of breath very puce in the face shouting quick quick there's a sea monster so at that point in the time, I was still on the, 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 making a call to the Coast Guard, uh-huh. and I said, uh, I'll, I'll call you back. And the Coast Guard said to me, you have to. So, so I went to the door to see what I, I kind of guessed what was going to happen. She's pointing out at the log. Uh, right. entire tree and it was doing a very convincing at that moment in time a very convincing surgeon's photograph impression of a sea monster sticking its head and then it as it as the as the tree continued to roll it looked like it was submerging again and this woman was getting she was calling upon me to do something her husband to get a camera other passers-by who were dog walking were being dragged over to see this extraordinary sight of a sea monster <laughs> it was a, it was quite a memorable it took it took her quite a long time before she could actually see in fact we had to i had to bring her inside and give her the big powerful uh, stand mounted binoculars so that she could see it was in fact a tree um, at well, that point, you... actually, the Coast Guard did put out a warning uh, about the tree and also about uh, the possibility of it being misidentified. Now, would you have given her the same uh, thing if you hadn't seen that log? Would you, what would you have done? I, I, if I hadn't seen the log, well, my duty was to see what she to go and find out what she had seen, um, and obviously, I would have done. Because clearly the woman was in, you know, a great deal of distress, and was very flustered and excitable by by what she was seeing, you know, and the fact that it must have, you know, 
we obviously you know i i'd been up there a number of times i'd seen the pods of dolphins i'd seen all of the you know sort of we had a marine and wildlife log that we also had to keep as well uh, for the environmental people so we were used to logging down the various co- to, uh, comings and goings of sharks and dolphins and porpoise and uh, the other sort of so you know somebody rushing through the door shouting quick quick there's a sea monster i was i mean it was three paces to the door um and this wild this wild yelling woman uh but it was you know it, it, in fact it actually got recorded in the official coast guard records as a sighting of a sea monster because unbeknownst to me her husband was on the phone to the coast guard whilst i was on the phone to the coast guard he was using the emergency number also reporting the sea monster um off Scomer island wow so uh, yeah that was that was quite an amusing episode that took place yeah that sounds pretty cool um but there is also a sighting at loch ness uh, but i'm not telling you that before spirit Club. right i don't blame you on, on that so i mean that's pretty cool that you you do that by the way that's uh, i find that nice interesting too it's you know got i it. believe you have the hat don't you don't you have the nci hat is that what that is yeah that's the national coast watch institute and the the second badge on it is because we all have to qualify as radio operators oh maybe i don't have that one i think i only, i have no you do what's the coast guard one uh, no, the Coast Coast Watch is NCI. It's got the NCI, and you've also got the RNLI. The yeah, I got one or the other. Anyways, yeah, it's one of my favorite hats. I wore that when I judged the Miss uh, Portsmouth contest for Miss America. So there you go. I'm sure the lifeboats. Fine memories of it. Yeah, the, the lifeboat men and women will be honoured. Yeah, as they well should be. So John actually had a question. He said, "Sea monster. What about ancient marine from the dinosaur era?" So uh, I guess he's asking, uh, "Is, is Nessie a plesiosaur?" Yeah, is he a dinosaur? Yeah. Um, originally, that was one of the that was one of the favorite um, theories that, that right. related to Nessie, and if also Champlain, uh, like Champ and uh, the others, were all throwbacks to the dinosaur era and and they were in fact robert rines uh, from boston uh, the scientist from boston uh, who who surveyed the lock over a period of a number of years with the assistance of mit um was convinced mi5 mit oh god <laughs> was convinced up to his death um that we were de- what we were dealing with is some uh species of plesiosaur oh uh, that had swum into the loch 10,000 years ago when the glaciers um, and couldn't get back out again and was basically trapped in Loch Ness. Do, do we know the natural lifespan of any of these, like a police well, series? Or, other, or... Well, we don't, but the other problem being is it was only 10,000 years since the glaciers, of course, that the plesiosaur could, or something like this, like the Atlantic chard, which is in Loch Ness because of the glaciers, right. uh, got in. But there are then 200 million years before the weren't any, you know, in the gap between the end of the plesiosaur and the beginning of the ice age. Right. So you have this other big problem. Plus, uh, you know, people have said uh, one of the other theories that people have, oh, there, there are underwater tunnels yeah, that connect lots to the ocean. To the, to the ocean, yeah. 
Now, you know, I mean, much as a much as people might like them to be, if there were, Loch Ness wouldn't be as deep as it was because it's already higher than sea level. So it would just it'd be like pulling the plug drain. on the bath. Yep. Yeah, yep. we just drain out again. Um, so no, I I think I, I don't know any of the scientists or biologists or even cryptozoologists who now favour the plesiosaur model, the the right. uh, ancient dinosaur model. Right. I think most of them are moving towards um, this idea of an unknown large aquatic animal. You know, what's funny is is that, you know, as much as we think we know about dinosaurs, there is so much more that we do not know about them. I mean, oh, wow, we, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I'm not trying to say that that's what it is, but I'm just saying that uh, there's so many unknowns that we, you know, and it's easy for us, and I think. I'm not saying you and I, but it's easy for some people to uh, rationalize or choose to pick certain evidence to, you know, fill their own theories. And it, it's it's really easy to do that. Unfortunately, you know, you have to look at a, a much larger picture. of It's just like accounting, you know. I mean, you can pick, take numbers and do anything you want with them to make it come out the way you want it to come out it, you know it's much as black in science it is but if you you fudge them enough uh, <laughs> you can get them to do what you want <laughs> well if you if you're that good at it normally they employ you within the uh, irs or but it's interesting you, you talk sure. about our knowledge of the dinosaurs and what we think we know because we all grew up with certain images of what a t-rex or a velociraptor or a brontosaurus or a triceratops yeah. were and let's face it what little kid doesn't know lots about dinosaurs did you have plastic uh, dinosaurs when you were oh kid? god yeah yeah uh, but in, in, even since they made Jurassic Park the first movie to the re, to the making of the new movies now, they've realised uh, as science has advanced and gene, uh, DNA testing of some of the fossils has been possible that right. these dinosaurs were just bloody big chickens and that most of them, including T-Rex, probably had feathers and quite colourful plumage. Now, the idea of, and there have been artistic renditions based on these new findings, um, I'm saying you, that they're only you know, within the last 10 years, that most of the dinosaurs had had colourful feathers. So, I mean, we're talking mammals now. I, well, we're I, talking I, birds. I mean, it, it turns out that when they did the DNA studies, the, the closest living relative or surviving living relative or ancestor of the Tyrannosaurus rex is a chicken. Yeah, I know. I saw that before. But you know, it's like if you want to know where the dinosaurs are, yeah, looking your looking looking your chicken coop. I guess we're gonna to have to wait for uh, you know time travel to find out for sure. Yeah, but it's fascinating that I mean, scientists are absolutely paleontologists. Are absolutely, they've stopped. You know, they fully accept the idea that these uh, big dinosaurs. Uh, of a particular group, this I think they're the the sauropods, they're the ones that end in saurus, like T. Rex and Velociraptor, and uh, the the bloody things had feathers, and that what you're dealing with really is a giant bird, <laughs> and they also suggest that many of the large um, ones like the Brontosaurus, Triceratops, Stegosaurus, were warm-blooded, oh, and, were never, and were never reptilian. 
That's so, interesting. You know, when they've looked at the biology, uh, as they've started to be able to understand more and more and more from the fossils. Well, we're just going to have to wait till they start cloning yeah. them, and we'll find out. But all of these things that we thought that we knew from our plastic dinosaurs, dinosaurs. and the books and things that we were always bought for Christmas. Aren't they so awesome? They were awesome. And you know, what what kid, I mean, my, my youngest, honestly, is dinosaur-obsessed. Yeah. Has been since he was tiny. And he's got an enormous collection of plastic dinosaurs. I know all the names, all the... Yeah. yeah, yeah. We all had our favourite. The Ale- We always said be a different dinosaur in the playground. All the oh, other. really? Yeah. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so... Anyways, John, to answer your question, we did digress a little bit, and I apologise for that, is that uh, they may not be dinosaurs at all, but a simply a... It's very unlikely. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. simply something that we haven't discovered yet. Much more likely. Yeah. I think. I think the vast majority. Uh, of them, wait, wait, they, could they even be a mutation of something that we do know, like an well, eel, for instance? Well, possibly, but I think you know uh, the the vast majority of researchers seem to have contented themselves now or found some level of agreement where it, that w- that what you're dealing with is a large aquatic creature, if one exists at all, and that the eel is one of the best solutions. Yeah, I kind of agree. Now, whether it'll turn out with that, we don't don't know. Whether there'll ever be anything there, we don't know. But the the dinosaur, the plesiosaur theory is long, I think, long dead in the water now. I think so, too. But it could be wrong. You never know. Well, you know... I will never put anything past anything. There have been some crackpots. I mean, there was a guy, there was a British... He was a paranormal investigator, but he went and, and an exorcist, and he rode out into the middle of the <laughs> a rowing boat and exorcised it, because he was convinced that it was actually a time traveling demon. Wow! Uh, Did it work? And, uh, no. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, work as in we don't know because people are still seeing it. So. Yeah, so I'm possibly make on that little endeavor. Uh, he didn't. He, he did it for uh, free. He rowed out in a rowing boat to the middle of Loch Ness. Uh, he, he did also, in, you know, regularly entangle himself with spacemen and ghosts as well. He wasn't. Oh, that's he, good. Yeah. I don't think he was playing with a full deck. Um, but he took a most amazing photograph of Nessie from up close, um, which was which was later revealed for what it was. Which was not the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so there've been people who've who've claimed it's it's time travelled or time warped in, um, that it's a time slip when they when you know when they experience Loch Ness, uh, the Loch Ness monster. There are others who've claimed it's an alien and it, it, you know, it, uh, coming through some sort of wormhole or portal. See, some that, of, some that's of the problem, Steve. Is, is is you do have to entertain some of these ideas because we really don't know. I mean, as much as ridiculous as they are, uh, they haven't been disproved either. <laughs> so that's the problem. Uh, the no, Bermuda Triangle, the Bermuda Triangle, take a look at the Bermuda Triangle, for instance, and there are tons and tons and tons of theories about what's happening there. Yeah. Everything from black holes to aliens to methane to, yeah. you know, you name it, it's, it's, it's there. So we, we have these mysteries, and, and they are unsolved. Well, the Bermuda Triangle it's... itself is one of the biggest mysteries because, in actual fact, when when uh, somebody finally went and could, uh, had a look at Lloyd's Register, because every ship in the world is insured through Lloyd's. Right. 
Um, and somebody, you know, there's this big claim that so many, so more ships have disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle than any other place on, on Earth. And right. they define the Bermuda Triangle, you know. Um, right. But when you go to the Lloyd's Registry, in actual fact, no, the average numbers for the Bermuda Triangle losses are pretty much the same as the same sized area of sea anywhere else on the planet. Right. But there are real anomalies with the Bermuda Triangle. For example, what happened to that flight of TBM Avengers? What happened to the search plane that went out looking for them? Right. You know, did they later turn up in Area 51? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. But, I mean, that is a historical event, and there have been lots of people who've tried to look at that and come we'll up with that. We'll do a show on the Bermuda Triangle, just go into the whole we thing. We did. We did. Um, I did something on the Ocean's Eleven. No, but... no, no. We we did the Bermuda Triangle, but it disappeared yeah. from podcasts. <laughs> okay, I get it. Sure. Speaking about uh, shows, uh, how is the West Files doing? Um, it's 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 still going, and it's still going from. It, it seems to be gaining in strength. We had a very interesting show last night. We we were talking about crystal healing, and Reiki. Really? Getting really into the metaphysical now, are we? Well, you know, we have to touch on the weird and the metaphysical and the wonderful. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of people, yourself included, who believe in Reiki. Um, Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. I didn't say I believed in Reiki. I said I was a Reiki practitioner and that I took the training. Uh, But once again, I don't know if, uh, if I believe in what's the concept of Reiki is. I, I think it's a more of a mind thing than it is a actual physical thing. Actually, do you know what? That really doesn't matter because if it works for somebody, it works exactly. for them. And, yeah, exactly. Placebo the or reality. Yeah. Um, and in fact, that's what the Reiki practitioner said last night. Um, you know, they, they or is, I mean, we ended up calling it auris moving mm. or aura ironing. Right. I uh, mean, Janice she, swears by it. And when she was going through her cancer, she she uh, Maureen did it on her, and she absolutely uh, raved about what happened. So uh, you know, to each their own. If that's what exactly. they exactly. And if, if people did get benefit from it, the same as with crystals. Now, you know, uh, there are people who have extraordinary collections of crystals because they're mineralogists or gemologists or or geologists, and it doesn't bring them wealth and health and happiness. And, but these people genuinely believe that some of these crystals and uh, carrying rocks around or cleansing them in moonlight are positive things. And it, who are we to criticise and who are we to condemn them for that? So... I, I believe in giving everybody a fair chance, a fair hearing, and it was a very interesting show. Mm-hmm. So I, I just turned the uh, calendar, and I know we're cutting, coming down to the end of the show, and I just wanted to mention a couple of things, because I have a special channel, calendar, it's all on the weather. And on this day, August 8th, 1882, there were snow showers on Lake Michigan. It covered a ship with six inches of snow and slush. The proud cloudburst could be seen from shore. So this is in August of uh, 1882. Isn't that pretty cool? Very cool. In fact, literally cool. But snow isn't unknown at our latitude. We've had snow in summer here in the UK. And of course, we had the great, uh, the, the summer that wasn't in New England. Where, uh... <laughs> yeah, we have one of them every year, except this year, weirdly. 
Now, you heard, and, and like I said, we are continuing, but you've heard about the, the stones that slide across Death Valley, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so here's, here's the question for, uh, an old far- for Ask the Old Farmer. He says, how do the stones weighing hundreds of pounds slide across Death Valley? The mystery of the sliding stone is an area of Death Valley called the Racetrack Playa. It was solved on August 2014 when scientists reported that in 2013 and 2014 they have witnessed the stones being moved hundreds of feet. The stones were embedded in or pushed in by thin sheets of ice that turned and propelled by the wind across the uh, the even what do you call it? As, and as, yeah. And uh, by the wind across and even thinner layers of ice, in other words, you could barely see them. The combination of ice, water, mud made them slippery enough that they would allow these heavy stones to move in light winds. That's pretty cool, huh? That's very yeah. cool. I remember seeing that report when the scientists finally, um, because it had been suggested before that the wind was blowing them around, and you know, people were going, that's ridiculous. The wind can't blow a rock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're several hundred pounds. But it does show. It does show that you know, if if that there are mysteries that seemingly are paranormal or supernatural, are solvable by good by good research and investigation. And sometimes. But do you know what? There are still people who believe that they're slid around by aliens. And sometimes they can be <laughs> so. Well, in As this case, seen, you know, a lot ca- of people just take a shotgun effect and they say, OK, uh, this happened before. So therefore, everything is going to be the cause of this. And it's well, not I think I think the I think the moving stones, I think we can put them to bed. Mm, I think we can pass on that. Yep. Because they actually witnessed it and. Yeah. They and were recorded it rep- and recorded reput- it. Reputable witnesses, too, as well. well. They also got footage of it doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, um, yeah, that's one. that one we can put to bed. Thank God. What do you mean, thank God? Well, it's always nice to solve a mystery because then we yeah, can... Yeah, I know. Well, it isn't, it isn't. Because once you solve it, it's no more fun anymore. Yeah, it, it is. Because if you solve one, then you just move on to the next one. Uh, that's true. We do have no... Well, short we're not short of mysteries. That's so true. It's always, so it's always good to solve one. Right, that's true. It, sh- that's it shows true. that our methods are, you know, are worth pursuing. That someday we may solve something. Well, if we if we don't solve the occasional one, it, it's all very disheartening. You know, what's the point? The fact that we can solve the odd one gives us hope that we can solve others. It's true, really true. As long as you use good scientific principles. Anybody can do science. Yeah, but you need good scientific principles. It's only five steps. Only bad stuff. No bad stuff. No, no, no. No shortcuts. <laughs> All right, so we got to go. Okay. Anyways, we are running down to the end of the show, and you are coming over here once again this fall. I, I am. Uh, Spur, of course, September 28th, 29th, and 30th. Tickets are on sale right now on the Any Ghost Project website. That is N E. Okay. N E G H O S T P R O J E C T dot com. And please tell me we're not having pizza again. What's that? 
Pizza again, yes, pizza. I think it's, you said it, it should be Chinese. No, no, we don't believe in Chinese. We're, we're prejudiced against Chinese now. We only uh, we've, done chicken, chicken. we've done chicken pot pie three times. Twice. Three. Twice. Feels like three. Yeah, it does. <laughs> oh well. We did mash and bangers one year. That was good. No, it wasn't. Oh. Yeah, I think I guess why. Well, we should do Chinese for a change. We did that. Puerto Rican? Mexican? There you go, Mexican. I like Mexican. You go well, with Mexican. In search of the perfect meal. In search of fajita. We'll have a, we'll have a buffet. Buffet. Pizza. Isn't that, is, isn't that the singer that Anne, Anne Kerrigan always goes to see? What's that? Jimmy Buffet. Yeah, Buffet. <laughs> Yeah, get a sushi, which is rice monster. There you go. Sushi buffet. Yeah, anyway, we do have to go. All right. So, we'll have to do a show on the Bermuda Triangle, though. That, that would be really intriguing. I mean, not just the the common ones. Take a look at some of the lesser-known cases, and and, uh, and and I think that'd be fun. That'd be a lot of good show. It was, I don't know, was it a Doctor Who? No, a J, oh, what was the one I saw where they had a German ship? The German took over a British ship in the Bureau Triangle and they've been fighting for like 100 years. Um, Did you ever see that one? So, doesn't it, it sounds a little bit like um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Legend of the Black Pearl. No. Oh, it's a <laughs> Nazis and, and British fighting on, on this ship for centuries in the, the British Triangle. Anyways. There are a lot. There are lots of films about the Bermuda Triangle and a Barry Manilow song. There you go. Is that the heartbeats, or am I having a heart attack? No, no, no. It's time to go. All right. So I guess we're going to have to go. We want to thank everyone for listening to us, and uh, tune in next week when we'll be talking about something else. I'm sure. Okay. Uh, good night. God bless. God bless. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck. <laughs>